Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the CEOs, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Ann and Lewis are speaking with Gene Sullivan, one of the most active leaders in the cannabis industry and a venture capitalist and pro-legalization polymath who wears many hats, all of them green. Her lead role is general partner with the ArcView Venture Fund from the ArcView Group, a pioneering group of high net worth cannabis investors and a respected source of reliable industry data. She is co-founder of a New York venture capital firm that's raised $400 million to invest in technology-enabled business services companies and is also an advisor for Canna Gather, a community of cannabis investors and entrepreneurs. Jean is an industry speaker on the subject of securing investment money and Business Insider called her one of the rising stars in the cannabis investing landscape. The New York Hall of Sciences honored Jean, who serves on its board of trustees, for her work inspiring girls and women in science and technology. You're definitely going to want to lean into this one. Now, on to our interview. Hello and welcome to The Green Rush. I'm Ann Donahoe. I'm here with Lewis Goldberg and special KCSA or guest Gretchen Gailey. And today we're chatting with Jean Sullivan, who Forbes has cited as one of the women VCs changing the world and grooming the next generation of female entrepreneurs. But Jean, you are also so, so, so much more. So welcome to the podcast. Um, can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you got into the industry? I have been a longtime venture capital investor co-founder of a really interesting tech-enabled business services fund right here in New York City. And so I have had more than 30 years of investing in the tech platforms and fabulous software companies. In fact, we were one of the first to ever figure out that software as a service and cloud-based investing was the way to go. So guess what I get to say? I get to say I have gone from sass to grass. <laughs> so title. How many times have you told that joke? Too many, but I still get a laugh. So well, I'm I haven't heard it before. before. I thought it was funny. Saying it, until it is. No, it is definitely funny. It's definitely funny, and I made it up. Oh, that's awesome. I get to keep using it, but here's what happened. I rolled off my fund five years ago. If we're counting in dog years, that's five times seven of working fully all in in this cannabis sector. Because here's what happened. 2014, New York passed the Compassionate Care Act. We got involved in one of the first New York licenses. Who, who was it? Yep. Who was it? Do I have to tell you that? N not if you don't want to. <laughs> well... It's pretty interesting one. You know, only five were accepted as license holders back in the first round. And so we were in the second round uh, called, called Fiorello, but we're one of the 10. And how could there just be 10 in this glorious state of 20 million people? Go figure that. So I said, I better learn this stuff. Started to go to MJ Biz and all the conferences. Who do I meet but Troy Dayton, who's the head of ArcView? 
He said, Gene, I need you. I need classically trained investors. You can help me step up the deal flow and bring in great investors. So I have tirelessly been advising companies that have come through ArcView, sent great companies there, helped them get their pitch together, started investing in some of these companies. And then we decided along the way, hey, it's time to put together a fund. So Gene, let, let me ask, because I, you know, you're telling this story about your background in tech investing and that you, know, you went from SaaS to grass. Um, the skills that you developed in identifying good investment targets in technology, do they completely translate over to cannabis or are you using a different set of skills to evaluate investment vehicles? There is so much pattern recognition. I truly believe that tech is a proxy and what happened in tech, boom, bust, boom, is a total proxy for what's happening in cannabis. Certainly, there's extra layers of scrutiny that we must apply. And I believe that there's some real layers of complexities that you must understand or you'll get absolutely skinned in this in this uh, cannabis sector. Can I can I push back a little bit on the thesis that, that there's a good analog between tech and cannabis? Um, the tech bubble, especially in the early 2000, you know, like the the 90s and into the 2000s and when it burst was predicated on the eventual development of an industry. Um, cannabis is predicated on the conversion of an already enormous industry that there are, you know, $75 billion of annual sales in the United States, only 11 billion were legal. So I, I always find that that, you know, when people talk about the tech bubble, and comparing it to cannabis, it doesn't make sense because there's this huge runway of yet to be tapped into revenue that's already being spent. So when you think about investing in cannabis, is it solely a bet on um, the the potential of the market and the management team? Or are you looking at licenses and, and like consumer packaged goods strategy? I mean, how are you anal analyzing companies, you know, from that lens? Lewis, you're right that what's different is that this marketplace is here today. And back in the day, and I was there in the day, guess what we used to say? We would sit around. In fact, my grounding in the tech world and data world was from AT&T days. Do you know at AT&T we used to sit around and say, how are we going to compete against the Internet? Isn't that hilarious? However... The marketplace is here today for this, but the parallels are as follows. I see newbie entrepreneurs who've never built a business, software or otherwise, you know, grown cannabis, uh, known what they're doing as far as the build outs. I see business models that are unformed. I see pricing models that are unknown. I see distribution top up that aren't figured out yet. There's some of the real parallels. And then, of course, the story around huge valuations, uh, entrepreneurs who don't understand what dilution is all about and they're so fearful about it, all those are parallels. So what I'm proud to bring to the table is this pattern recognition, how to really figure out, can this company make it? Can they scale? Because after all, that's what's important, right? Well, Gene, and just wondering, the, with the industry expanding as rapidly as it is, um, with such a funky regulatory environment, uh, will it plateau? 
it's here to stay. It's big and I believe only getting bigger. Uh, I'm a little concerned about uh, some of the big regulators and, and other big pharma, let's say, and the FDA getting their grimy hands all over it and slowing us down on getting real product that creates wellness. But I don't believe in the plateau theory. I believe it's going to get bigger and better. And you know what we really want? We want it to have strong regulatory uh, uh, controls around it. We want to be able to tax it like alcohol, distribute it, have it be freely available in a variety of form factors. Do you see it being able to do that if it remains on the state-to-state market basis, though? I believe that is what's going to happen. And yes, hey, alcohol did fine figuring that out. It took many years. But yes, I'd take that. And I think that will happen. And uh, and I think that's the way it'll go. But do you think, do, do you think that states are going to allow for interstate commerce or is, you know, a, a pre-roll company going to have to have its own farm in every single state, its own packaging in every single state? Or are we going to be able to see true interstate commerce? I was saving some of that for prediction time. I truly, <laughs> I truly believe, though, that states will put up some guardrails. However, they'll be able to make their own rules, too. So just like California needs supply and Oregon and Washington have oversupply, I think that kind of trade will happen, whereas Oregon won't be shipping uh, product to New York. So I think those rules are going to happen. That's what is going to happen in my view. Jean, can I loop back to um, the the comparison between um, the tech sector and the cannabis sector? Do you think there's a fundamental difference in the initial investors um, who are who are investing um, in early on in the tech sector? Are they as sophisticated or is there a bigger learning curve? Do you think when it comes to cannabis? Because cannabis is so retail focused. Um, I'm wondering if there if there's much of a difference there. Here's what I'm seeing. I see a big step up in the knowledge level of audiences now, uh, especially over the last year. No longer do you have to show maps that show 33 states and explain the 10 adult use. People know all that for the most part. I see a lot of real estate investors. And those real estate investors are pretty used to a lot of cash flow and dividends and royalty payouts over time and all that. So I see a lot of questions coming around business models from these investors. They're used to having done that. It wasn't necessarily that way in tech. So I do see some real differences today on the investors, and I see them uh, longing to play but not necessarily knowing how to play. But these are all growth companies, right? None of them are are having any return of capital to investors yet, you know, unless it's an acquisition, you know, the public guys are still burning cash. So are these guys looking at this as a, an income play or a growth and, and a high risk play? A lot of investors do want some of that liquidity and income, let's say at least in traditional funds, right. they do seek that. And don't forget m activity is high. It's twice what it was a year ago. And it's pretty exciting. You see what's happening with those MSOs, multi-state operators. They are acquiring like crazy. 
And so there has been liquidity and returns to investors in that world. And something else that's really formidable, which I love, the big Canadian LPs are swooping down into the U.S. and they are acquiring brands. And that's pretty exciting for some of these early stage companies. Yeah, they're getting the cash out. Um, so for in early stage investors who got into the Canadian LPs, are they able to trade out of their shares or are they still in their lockup? Because I know for companies like MedMen and, and others who've recently gone RTO, the early stage investors are locked for longer periods of time than traditionally happens after an IPO. Are you seeing those lockups expire or are you, is it still, still in place? It depends where you are in the, in the capital stack. If you're close in, you know, part of the core team for as long as three years. So it, this is not a game for the timid. And uh, however, as you see, it's a pretty vibrant game. So, uh, I think it's pretty exciting, uh, despite you know what's going on as far as high valuations and craziness and volatility. But these MSOs and the Canadian LPs have really made their mark now. We're seeing a real breakout strategy occurring by the best and brightest. It's, let's face it, it's Darwinian. Those who can really execute well, continue to grow and scale, understand profitability and how to create great product, they're winning. What does Danny Moses call it? The big long, Lewis? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Indeed. And I got to be on a panel with him recently at Benzinga, and that was pretty exciting. He's a good guy. Very good. Gene, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing with raising money in the cannabis industry? I think the number one thing I see is uninitiated uh, business owners and entrepreneurs who may have a great idea, fire in their belly but they have no idea how to, what I like to say, get the wallet out of the investor's pocket. They have no idea how to articulate or package what they're building, share the long-term vision, which is critical for success, uh, articulate how to hire and fire the right people on the team. I still see so much of that. That's back to the earlier questions around some of the similarities in tech. Same story, same story. On the other hand, you see some dynamic, seasoned players, men and women, who do know the one line that we always use to invest behind an entrepreneur or CEO. They know what to do and how to do it. That's the differentiator. They know how to hire and fire. They can look left, look right, look out. So can you, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's blown you away? Name a name, somebody in the industry that is this guy. Who's that woman? Who's that man that you're like, yeah, I'm betting on him. Well, I'm glad you said woman in there. Or I was in the <laughs> real time. Because and He's surrounded by women. There's no way he was getting away with that. Well, and we've <laughs> talked to, by the way, we've talked to some absolutely amazing women in the industry. Like I think of Lynn Honard and what she's doing at Mary's Medicinals and Mary's Naturals. She's She's awesome, right? I, she, you know, f we've talked to a lot of CEOs. That's somebody who has her act together. You know, I, I would bet on her. So who, who are you betting on? Louis, you just stole exactly <laughs> what I was going to tell you. <laughs> I love Lynn, former Goldman Sachs. She's been able to scale to many states. She's even gotten large hotel property to use her CBD line 
She's just dynamic. And that's the kind of seasoned, knowledgeable CEO that is making it happen. All that matters when it comes down to is execution. She knows how to execute. That's the right kind of play. I'm seeing other women, by the way, who have built some great products are much earlier in the stage, but delivered to me by other men and women who say, Jean, take a look at this. A fabulous woman uh, named Leslie Sue, who has developed a sublingual spray delivering two and a half milliliters of THC. It doesn't give you a high, but it's really nice feeling. And it's a nano emulsion product. She was a New Yorker and moved to uh, Colorado and building that product. And she's got an interesting model. Is that is that on the market? It is it is finished product. I've seen the product and it's just about back on the market because she reformulated. But listen to this strategy back to business models. She's got a license model because here's something new that's happening. You're probably well aware, but it's it's worthy of underscoring. These big MSOs that are building uh, dispensaries and growing, especially on the East Coast states, they don't want to build their own brands, not a whole lineup of brands. They're looking for the best of breed brands to recreate under their license. And so she's got a license model to do that. I think that's clever. Are there other brands out there that you're going, whether you're invested or not in them, going, ooh, they, they got it going on? Like, it, can you pick three or four brands um, out there beyond the two that we've talked about, uh, just who you're loving? Yes, let me tell you something that's been a, a real strategy for me around learning and evolving to understand, and that's the whole beverage market. You could not take a great glass of Kistler wine away from me and replace it with some cannabis drink, but you sure can for really millions of others. And here's why. I never thought, what I'm really saying is I never understood how popular the uh, beverages uh, could and will be. Mm. And the reason that they are is that you can just sit in a restaurant and obviously you're not going to be vaping or smoking or using some spray, but you can sit there with a drink in your hand. And so I have been really looking deeply at a lot of the uh, those companies. For instance, you're probably aware of the Two Roots and Lighthouse Strategies guy and that team. They have produced a, a non-alcohol cannabis beer. We tried it in uh, Vegas at the MJ Biz, and then I've seen them several other places. He's one that has a real package product. It's being sold in a few states. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I think it comes down to how do these things taste? We've all been following Duma, who's been building province brands for several years. Can he do it? He believes in, in brewing it from stems and stalks. And so, you know, everybody's waiting to try that, see if he can pull that off. Uh, I think these beverages drinks, another one is Tinley Beverages. I met them at a great conference in the Bahamas this past month. I saw them again in Santa Monica. They're in Santa Monica. Really interesting. Not only creating, that's not a beer, but they're creating like a margarita drink. Real interesting. Jean, can I jump in and ask you a quick question? Just 
mashing together tech and cannabis. What do you see as the next big tech play for cannabis investment here? What what products get you? Yeah, I am literally astonished at the primitive nature of the technology in these dispensaries and in the cultivation scene. It is shocking to me because I've been a tech player, very involved in tech for many years, and it is surprising to me. Even anything from check-in at a dispensary to what's going on for even follow-up, outreach to their customers, marketing and all that. It is shocking. And then uh, you probably are well aware of the pretty appalling and amazing stories around the seed-to-sale tracking companies. The here state government officials command which platform should be selected and then imposed upon the license holders in that state. So full, full, full disclosure, we work with MJ Freeway. Well, good for you, because here they have this large embedded base. They certainly have a, a, a they got out there in front, look, founded by two women. I want that platform to win. How lucky are they that they now have the treasury uh, about to be filled up with a large amount of money from and a great board and a great you know team. Now they can do what's needed, bring powerful platform to serve the need because it's, it's demanded that these license holders use such a tracking system. But we all, you know, know the stories of a lot of the startup issues, et cetera. Well, guess what? Certainly that happened in the tech world, but. Yeah, it's when I talk about them, I, I refer to them as the Oracle of the, the cannabis industry because they're an early SaaS model. It took Oracle how long to go from like, oh, my God, I'm installing Oracle to, oh, my God, I'm installing Oracle. You know, it's it's the same thing with MJ Freeway. It's. They are building the underlying data-centric technology for the industry. And, and it, yeah, there are hip, hiccups, but ultimately what they do is vital. And, and the data that they're going to be able to pull is unbelievable. Look, I want them to win. And what I hope happens is that they can uh, cure any of the bad stuff that went on and make sure that it works and works right. We need those kinds of well-doing platforms, and I want Jessica to win. So good for them, and I think it's great that they have this M-Tech investment piece happening. And, and those are the kinds of things, to answer your question, what's going on? I want well-doing platforms that you can trust and count on uh, that are creating frictionless opportunities in the, in the actual cultivation uh, center of excellence. You want the right kind of sensors and data the kind of lighting and the kind of materials that can get the job done and really help create better yields, uh, understand what they're growing and what they're not growing. We're just seeing those kinds of systems and platforms come on. So, Gene, you talked about um, some of the companies you like, uh, but let's pivot and talk about some of the markets you like for a moment. What are what are some of the markets in the U.S. that are exciting to you? And then um, follow up that I'll just ask right now is how do you feel about the international markets? Good. Great. So I being a real tech junkie, uh, I love seeing all kinds of new things happening in testing testing platforms I think are pretty exciting. Yesterday I did a piece at a family office conference on extraction. I really follow extraction. I don't know if you've seen Vitalis in action. What a story. 
In two and a half years, they have the largest embedded base of extraction equipment, CO2, uh, supercritical extraction equipment, and an amazing story. I like ext extraction services. Medifarm Labs doing an amazing things. Uh, a new company coming on board that's been added a while, Green Sky Labs. These are smart, pharma-trained, hard-hitting business owners that are building these services and have all the proper SOPs to be able to deliver a great extraction and derivative products for others as a third party. Let me go back to testing for a minute. In the state of New York, as well as in either New Jersey and other states, especially here, there's one state-owned testing lab. Now, I met many testing companies that are well-doing and have all the right stuff and very impressive with fast turnaround times and quality output. So they've got their binoculars. The smart ones have their binoculars on these states that are going to be issuing more testing licenses. And so that's, I think, a great area for some real growth opportunity. What states are you specifically excited about? So what are the states that are, I, I guess, building the regulatory model like that so that it is attract, so so they're doing it the right way versus the, you know, the 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 wrong way, the crazy way. Yeah, the Massachusetts way. Yeah, I was trying to think of a state. It's so easy to pick one, and I couldn't think of one. Thank That's you the one to pick. <laughs> you said the right way, and it did make me laugh when you said that. <laughs> the right way doesn't exist yet, right? Correct. Well, Nevada got it pretty good, right? Well, yes, they are being touted for that. But back to your good question about where am I focused, you can see what's happened. Yeah, and you know this, and I like to teach audiences this, that the Western states got to where they are so fast because they had ballot initiatives. Ballot initiatives, except for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, does not really exist on the East Coast. So we are all legislatively bound. I like sharing that. People don't understand that. You know, why are we so far behind? We don't have those kinds of ballot initiatives. And as you may know, we tried hard to make a constitutional change even here in New York, but people would not hear of it. This Commonwealth of Massachusetts put the ability for a ballot initiative in their constitution back in 1915. But you didn't know that, right? And so they were able to vote for bringing cannabis to the people. So I believe that now that wave is moving to, uh, to east of the Mississippi. It's pretty exciting, as you see, Michigan being forward thinking and adopting adult use. You see what's happening in New York and in the uh, New Jersey area. So let's address that. And Illinois, too, right? I mean, J.B. Pritzker said he's all in. It's great. It's really great. And I'm originally from Illinois, so I'm proud that, that they are more forward motion. But let's look at New York for a second, because I think that's interesting state to look at, even in line of your question about, you know, what are you looking at? Here, New York has 20 million people and only 10 licenses. And as you know, Colorado has hundreds and hundreds of licenses. So whenever I criticize New York, people point out to me, look, there's one good thing you could say, and I guess I let them get away with it. The products that are here, it was demanded that they be highly tested, that they be properly packaged somewhat, and uh, 
uh, I said somewhat because I actually, business research, of course, have my New York medical card, and I buy from the New York dispensaries. And they're not- Wait, they're- ju- just for business research? Business research, Lewis. You got it? Uh-huh. I'd say that's a big nod and a wink. <laughs> Does that mean I can buy for business research too, Lewis? In a moment. <laughs> It's not, hey, but it's not tax deductible, right? It's 280E. Who cares? <laughs> Gretchen, would you like your card? I have just the right doctor who's happy to take care of you. That was Anne. I live in California, so I'm in a, I'm in a rec state. Sorry, adult use state. Yes, please. <laughs> we are training people to try to say that. And by the way, I would, I would love it if you got Gretchen her card. I think that would be awesome. I, I have a card for California. You don't need a card in California. I used to. I needed one before. Uh, Is New York a reciprocal state? I don't think so, no, right? No, it's not. Yeah. They are not, and I wish they were. But Rhode Island is, so in, uh, in a flash, a few three hours up the road from you, you can be in Rhode Island and buy whatever you want. Because unlike New York, I often say this, no woman figured this one out. <laughs> no flower, no edibles. What the heck's with that? <laughs> and so we are anxious for an array of products. We're, when we go to California, which we just did two weeks ago, and when we're in the adult use states like Nevada and at a fabulous dispensary like, like Planet 13, when we're in some of the grand dispensaries and see an array of products. Is that, by the way, are you invested in Planet 13? I am. I have bought their public stock because I was blown away by seeing them when I went to MJ Biz. What an operation. It's incredible. It's huge. Yeah. Believable. And I can't wait till the 40,000 square foot dance floor opens. <laughs> Are you going to oh be out there God. dancing, Gene? Yes. Yes, I am. And that's going to be one of the first vape lounges, too. But here's the point. When we look at these beautiful and interesting adult use states that have created grand products. To us, that's the future vision for what could and will happen then on the East Coast. Because we're in primitive state here. If you go into a New York dispensary, there's just little puny expensive bottles of tinctures. Yes, there are some vape pens and some capsules and gel caps, that's it. And they're all expensive. And so it's pretty interesting to see what the future will be here. And so that's the fun of seeing what could be. So we're definitely well behind and hopefully will catch up by issuing, as you know, what Governor Cuomo does, hope to sign and plan to sign a a new set of laws that are going to be forthcoming. Uh, The legislature is only in session from now till June 30th. So we think it'll be midnight on June 29th that it'll all happen. And that's that's what's going to be. And then, then the regulations will take time. Now, back to saying something worthy. So we want a products that are tested. We don't want to go through what happened in California where those products had to come off the market uh, uh, because they weren't properly tested. Who wants to eat or vape or drink things that have pesticides in them. So let's do it right. The guys, the LPs in in Canada are sitting on just a shit ton of money, right? I mean, 
you, you look at Canopy and they have almost $4 billion to invest. You know, they spent a bunch on Ebu um, and Aurora has money. They All these big guys have money. Do you think that they will ever be able to deploy that money in the U.S. To directly and buy some of the MSOs? Or, or what are they, how would they, if you were, if you were Bruce uh, Linton at Canopy, where would you be spending your money? Well, you saw what he did already. He took out another hundred million already and has gotten into the hemp business in the state of New York. Yep. Now just use your imagination. It's not going to stop with New York. So I see. A- and it's not going to stop with hemp, right? I mean, that's a, that's a Trojan horse to get in for a full license. Correct. And so I see a real network happening that way. I see, you know, big international expansion happening and wow what a story what a great story and it's pretty exciting Uh, i i love it and they're also going to do another thing they are swooping down already not just canopy but other very savvy lps licensed processors in canada and they are buying the great brands and they're bringing them up to canada because as you know uh, canada is not in the business yet on the edible side until next October, or maybe a little later, people are saying. So they're putting those regs together now. If you put on your, you know, looking five years into the into your crystal ball cap, I just mixed metaphors there, um, and you see rescheduling or descheduling, what impact do you think that would have um, on the U.S. cannabis industry and their, specifically the investors? Are they, I mean, there's, there's only going to be a couple of winners at that point, right? I have a contrarian view on that. Oh, good. And it's because being in the tech business for 30 years, when Google and Facebook, Cisco, Microsoft, the great companies came about, entrepreneurism didn't go away. It thrived. And the smartest entrepreneurs built products that filled gaps. Mm. I believe that that's what's going to happen. I think it's a lot faster and easier to buy than build by these behemoth companies. And I think that it's going to create an ecosystem that's going to create a lot of wealth, wellness, and opportunity for all. And I, I just see that pattern happening. Now, we're afraid of draconian uh, rules and laws and long FDA trials. So I'm very hopeful that doesn't happen. And the way around that, is that we have to set those regulations ourselves and be good stewards of what we've got to work with. So let's get the testing right. Let's get the rules right. Let's have more and more groups who know how to carve those out and make that happen so so the FDA doesn't feel like they have to layer this upon us. Gene, I've been thinking about the, you know, as we've been discussing, you know, that analog again between tech and cannabis. And if you if you use that two wave of tech, right? The first wave of tech was the the Apples and the 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 Googles and the Ebays, those early companies. And then you had that second wave that was led by Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter, Uber and, and the like. We're still in that first wave for cannabis now, right? So if you were to pick in that first wave, who the the you know the winners are going to be on the MSOs or who the winners are going to be on the, the the products because we haven't had that tech 
wave hit yet, and that's coming. But the you know if you look just straight at the the MSOs and, and maybe the single product guys, who 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 do you like the most? Well, you can see there's a grand group of MSOs that have shot out in front. About a dozen of them. You know them. I know them. Uh, I think one's more magnificent than the other. I think these are smart, capable, finance-driven uh, people who were clever enough to make it happen. Uh, full disclosure for me, I happen to know the Ianthus team for 20 years, 25 years. So I'm an advisor to them. They were one of the first to run to Canada and put together an RTO. And then I laughingly call it Confederate dollars that they use to acquire more licenses. So they were one of the first to figure that out because they're so smart and capable. And now, and proudly, they're a New York operation. So those are the kinds of license holders that have their eyes wide open to acquire more licenses and then bring product in and open savvy, smart dispensaries that make you feel good and right. So I think that's an example. I think sticking with what's uh, the future of certain products, you know, I saw uh, the Gertners uh, pitch Tokyo Smoke in their earliest days. For me, that's one that got away. I think these vape lounges are going to be a really big thing. Listen, cannabis, as you know, is a social consumption kind of product. People want to sit around with their friends and enjoy. And so the vape lounges would allow that. And I think that's going to be a big opportunity. And as you see, those kinds of opportunities are opening up uh, in in states like uh, California and Nevada uh, and a few other places. A wink, wink on that. I'm not sure you've been to a few that uh, have been hang near us. How do you like that? <laughs> and so, so basically, I think I think that's going to be an exciting play. I mentioned beverages earlier. Guys really like those beverages. A lot of women like those cannabis-infused, non-alcoholic beverages. You feel better the next day. There's no, often there's no hangover. You might feel a little funny if you've had too much THC, but properly dosed, hey, you're fine and there's no hangover or headache. I think those are important products. I think products that serve women, as you know, both boomers and women are two of the fastest growing demographics fix where the products for us and since i'm in both categories there and so i think those kinds of products we're going to see more and more of and it might take women-led companies to build those products so let's let's take a look at that and make that happen i think there's some really exciting things in that category Gene, we've been talking a lot about uh who we expect to be the, be the big hits and who've done very well in the space um what do you see as mistakes that have been made in, in investing or for folks who are trying to enter the space, what are mistakes they need to uh, avoid or even if it's not in cannabis, just in overall investing? For the early companies, I see them not knowing how to package their company right or ask for the right amount of money or at the right valuation. Uh, you know, the term dilutionitis is an old line term and it's Successful entrepreneurs will tell you it's the biggest mistake they made. Worrying about dilution instead of getting what's important, financing runway. Those are some of the biggest mistakes I'm seeing because in the ArcView group where I'm active, I see companies pitching all the time. 
And and if they come in and say, I, I have used this for many years, if they're just a team, a dream, a PowerPoint and a dog, and they have this $50 million valuation on just PowerPoint where, you know, I look at them and I say, forget it. If I care about them, I'll say, let's fix this. And your ask on valuation should be different. I'll use an example. A woman came through who's from Nova Scotia, very smart uh, lawyer. She was building uh, an aquaponics uh, grow in Nova Scotia. She didn't have her license yet, but she came in and pitched Arcview with a real plan, beautiful drawings. She even had a uh, beta site already standing up, and she had a very reasonable, I believe, $12 million pre-money valuation. Boy, did people get their wallet out. She got about $8 million just from the membership because she told a real story with vision, and it was a rational valuation. That's how to win. And uh, and not that many people know how to do that is what my experience is. Jean, what's the biggest mistake that you've ever made? Oh, you would have to ask me that. <laughs> yeah. well, that's, that's where you learn, right? Nobody learns from success because you could have lucked into it. But if you look at your, your mistakes and you go, oh, we'll never do that again. Like, what was that one? It is critical to look at one's mistakes. And I do agree with you, Lewis. That is how one learns. If you pay attention. So I say this. It's okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to make the same mistakes twice. My biggest mistake is I have a lot of vision for these companies. And that's it's important to have vision, but it's important to listen to their vision and timing. So Bill Gross, who is the uh, Idea Labs Bill Gross, not the hedge fund bill, he looked at all of his internet companies. And there were many, many back in the day. And the number one metric that showed whether a company could succeed or not was timing. Is it the right timing to get into this company, to build this company, or not? And we can all name many products that failed, but then 20 years later, they came back. So I have a saying that I've used for many, many years. Sometimes you think you're in on the ground floor, you find out you're in the basement. So for me, it's been timing. Great companies I've invested in, seen or believed in, boy, it's timing just wasn't right yet. But is there a bet that you once made on a company that you were like, those guys are definitely, that's, that is like the, the Velcro entire shoe. Like that's the best thing I've ever seen. Do they stick together? They're easy to clean. You know, the one bet you made that you wish you hadn't and like you were so sure it was a winner because I've, you know, I don't even buy individual stocks anymore because I always lose. So, you know, there's got to be that one investment that you you can now look back and laugh on. But at the time, you're like, oh, my God, this is just a huge mistake. Yes, I can think of certainly some tech uh, companies that we went into that world on. And uh, and here's why I figured I think it's important to your point to understand these mistakes so you don't make them again. And so you're mindful. And I came out of a Bell Labs environment where I had dynamic software engineers building product. When I got into the real world, looking at companies built by, let's say, tech teams, they didn't have the hardened QA kind of world that I came from. And so I had to learn not to just trust 
that to really understand what was being built. So I've seen those mistakes around the product not being able to be built properly. I think that's why I was so harsh in my comments on early days in the seed to sale tracking world. Uh, I want those products to be hardened products that you can count on and trust. So I'd say that area, certainly timing issues, that's another one. And the third being execution. All that matters is if that CEO can scale the business. Does he or she know how to do that? And sometimes you miss on that. So I think it's important to understand that. A lot of that's a little bit of luck, certainly a lot of insight and doing the diligence that's an important area we could touch on briefly that'll help you understand if they can execute. I think that is critical. Jean, we have two more questions for you, um, and then we'll let you go. But you had mentioned um, some that you have your medical card, um, and and that there are there's a lack of products right now that are serving the the female and the boomer market what are you what products do you like in that you know of the 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 slim pickings which are the ones that that you like and which are the ones that you use if you're comfortable sharing you know i think uh, the products that women seek in general not just to personalize it but are products that don't burn your throat if it's a vape product and i've come to learn because i'm such a, a geek around the chemistry you know it depends on what the formulation is and so certain products uh, feel better taste better than others i think that's pretty interesting and women are seeking those that are form factors also that are beautifully made and nice to hold that a woman would want whereas guys you know might not care about that <laughs> and I think there's a lot going on there I'm seeing some beautiful products certainly packaging and branding of those products are appealing uh, to women uh, I like and I love making people laugh about some of the feminine hygiene products that are out there for women listen Lewis, those things are big and they work and they're they're great. And we've had several products. Wait, listen, wait, wait, wait. Listen, Lewis. <laughs> yes. Explain. I'm sorry. I like. I'm. I am listening. You don't like. <laughs> it's like. What, what, what am I supposed to do with that? I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with that. Just to laugh and go. Oh. I am laughing. That's funny. That's why I'm reacting like this. That was the whole point. And so here's here, here's the uh, the fun part of it. Let, let's, let's you know, have these products in full array. I have to laughingly tell you, I was just in a dispensary in California. And so I asked for one of those products and the bud tender was on his headset and he spoke in the headset. I said, oh, great. Now you've announced to the entire dispensary. Did you have to do that? Oh, my God. Yes. He's like, clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Precisely. Uh, or, you know, boomers in aisle two. <laughs> or or even better, it's like the the guy goes to the um, the pharmacy to pick up tampons for his wife and they're like yelling, this guy, need you know, that it's that scene. It's exactly that. No. OK, as long as we got this raunchy, here's another one for you. So I was in a dispensary, and, and, and my husband wanted me to buy Alaskan Thunderfuck. So a, girl, a girlfriend of mine said, don't, don't say that. Say ATF. So I thought, oh, that's clever. So I said to the buntet, buntet, do you have any ATF? He looked at me and said, what's that? And so it <laughs> And then what did you say? 
I had to say the whole thing. It was pretty embarrassing. Come on, one more time. Say it one more time. <laughs> oh, boy. You said my it already. Only, my only request is for all the, the brand people listening, the products don't have to be pink in order to, to be, you know, attractive to females. But they do have to have the words thunderfuck associated with them. <laughs> hey, let's do one more thing as long as we got on to the women discussion. Where are the women? This is a real passion for me and has been for all of my business career. Let's not screw it up like the tech industry. Let's be an open door to welcome women as investors, as business owners and entrepreneurs. And for that, that takes sponsorship by the men to both open their brain and their lens to understand that women are a fast-growing demographic here. Let's build products, let's invest in products that they will want, let's tune into that, and, and let's bring women in to help run our businesses, because as you know, because you're surrounded by some dynamic women, diversity does matter, and it's not just gender. It's a wide variety of diversity, bringing a different way to look at things to a company or to the table. And so I'm a really fierce advocate for inviting women to the table to play as a medical professional, as a scientist, as an investor, as a business owner. And I think it's important for us to prosper that. Uh, Jean, I just want to ask you, staying on the women's track, um, I know that last I guess last year or so ago at Arcview, um, they started doing the breakout, the women's group. Do you feel that that has helped women investors to become more engaged? Gretchen, I wish you were in our lunch we just had three weeks ago in Santa Monica. There are now 100 women part of Arcview as investors and business owners, and we are now bringing them together every time. In a, we had a fabulous lunch outdoors at the gorgeous Fairmont Hotel, and each person stood up and introduced themselves, and now we're creating a LinkedIn site for them. We want women to come together in this community, and we're building that, and it's pretty exciting. To become an ArcView member, what are the requirements? So we are seeking investors who want, who are high net worth and accredited, and we want them to have an eye toward investing at least $100,000, you know, over the next few years. And that's important to us so we can fuel these companies. But then we welcome men and women with high growth companies that they're building to pitch. And so we have a, a, a opportunity to do that. We have a dynamic selection committee that vets these companies and we put them the best ones on stage. And that's been pretty exciting. And we'll put a link in our show notes um, to where on the ArcView website that you can actually picture yourself if you're a company. And also, if you're a prospective ArcView member, we'll put um, a link to that. And, and Gene, would you want us to give out your email for this or – I'd be delighted for that. I'm happy to redirect people uh, as appropriate. And you're raising a fund through ArcView? I am. So these uh, companies, about 200 plus companies have been invested with over $200 million over just the last few years. Those companies need growth and expansion capital. And so we're putting together the ArcView Venture Fund to help fuel and fund these companies. And so I'm delighted to be leading the charge and as said, use pattern recognition from 30 years of investing to help find these great high growth companies that are out there. 
Jean, we run a really tight ship here. We are very professional. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, so uh, we have a section that at the end of every podcast called While You Were Sleeping. Um, and it's basically what are we missing? What are the developments taking place in the industry that no one is talking about, but people should be paying extra attention to? We touched on some of it. You do know that just this past year, more than $13.8 billion was invested. That's publics and privates. It was only $3.5 billion the year before, so it's torquing. Now, what's the future? I truly believe before the 2020 election, it will be pulled off, meaning THC, pulled off the Schedule One and thrown to the states just like a gay marriage, just like the liquor laws, et cetera. And, and so it's not going to be technically legalized, but it is going to be opened up and come on, let's do banking even before that happens. And so I think that the, the shackles on the industry are absolutely coming off and will come off before 2020 because you know who knows it could put him in favor with a lot of, uh, of people on both sides of the aisle. And I, I believe that truly will happen. Gene, thank you so much. It has been such a great pleasure to talk with you. Um, you know, I think if, if anybody listening didn't get a lot, not only out of the, the general counsel that you gave from 30 years of investing, but the actual specifics, you named names, which was great. So we really appreciate it. And, you know, we'd love to have you back again. I thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Our thanks to Gene Sullivan, advisor, investor, speaker, advocate. Aw, she's like all this and more. You can find her online um, at Investing in Cannabis Industry Connect with Gene Sullivan, um, and she is building the Arcview Venture Fund, and you can reach her directly. She gave us her email, which is jsullivan at arcviewgroup.com. Um, as always, if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter with the handle at KCSA underscore cannabis or drop us an email at greenrush at KCSA.com. Hate mail. Bring the hate mail. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe to our little podcast here on your favorite podcatcher. And throw That's us an inter- or a re- review if you want. That would be great, too. Thanks, Matt Sachs. <laughs> Thanks, Matt Sachs. Um, That's one take, Shay. One take.